Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, Satellite Sisters. We're excited to announce our new weekly newsletter, Pep Talk. That's right. It's happening. A little pep talk in your inbox on Fridays starting in August. Every issue will be short and sweet with podcast highlights, our recommendations for books, TVs, and films that are going to keep you entertained, plus recipes and other, you know, tidbits. And of course, there'll be a little pep talk because we all need that right now, don't we? It's the perfect newsletter to enjoy and then share with your satellite sisters and misters. You can find sign-up links all over the place, on our social media, on our website, on our Facebook, on our Instagram. We would love to have you sign up for Pep Talk now. Thanks. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a satellite sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. We're happy to be here today with you. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. I'm a writer and producer, and I'm all safe from the fire. So I'd like to thank everyone who texted and put on the Facebook page. We are all good here, but thank you for your concern. Uh, this is Liz Dolan. I'm in Santa Monica, California. I'm the middle sister. I'm here settled at my desk with all of my equipment. And my most piece, most important piece of equipment this morning is my Ruth Bader Ginsburg coffee mug, which I use almost every day, especially today. There's going to be a lot of RBG talk here. So it's all filled up and ready to go, sisters. Julie? Okay. Hi, this is Julie Dolan. I'm the oldest sister. I'm in Dallas, Texas. I'm in my closet uh, with my trusty friend, Oliver, my dog. I, hopefully he'll be, he'll be quiet during all of this. I want you to know today is the first day of fall. I don't know if that matters, but you should just, you should write that down. Okay. If you're Okay. I know we're sort of in the blurs day, but it is the first day of fall. So uh, uh, use that information uh, as you see fit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. <laughs> it is. I usually have a single pumpkin spice latte uh, every year. Just one. I, I don't really I like do? them that much. But I, uh -huh. yeah, I get, I just succumb to the pressure. And it's usually like, you know, when I'm shopping or something. But maybe I'll do it today, Jill. First day okay. of fall. Why not? Gives, okay. It gives you something to do. Something to put on the calendar. <laughs> so true, Liz. All right. Uh, today's show, we are going to talk about uh, Justice Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what she meant to each of us personally, reflections on her death this weekend, but mainly reflections on her life. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Um, just, you know, celebrating somebody as important, as extraordinary as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Julie, you've been pitching a college admissions story for a couple of weeks. You're just you're chomping at the bit to talk about behind the scenes of college admissions. So we're yeah, doing no, it today. Right? There's a new book out. This is I really think is essential reading for uh, people who have uh, high school students. Mm -hmm. Yep. OK. Also, I'm bringing a health pod uh, to Satellite Sisters. Remember breathing? Remember when we used to breathe? <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting, but thank you for reminding me. <laughs> I mean, I think it struck me as particularly powerful here in California when we've had such smoky air. You're like, should I breathe? Is breathing yeah. a good idea right now? Uh, it's always a good idea. There's a new book out called Breath, and um, it, it's some fascinating details. So I'm going to give you some fun facts about breathing and your nose, so you're not going to want to miss that. And okay. Then, <laughs> And then, and it's going to flow beautifully into uh, a story about some dental health, which is not something we usually cover on Satellite Sisters, dental health. But um, some denti a dentist in New York has noticed a trend from her patients during this time. And she has some tips on how you can turn it around. So I'm going to fill you all in on that. Um, okay, let's see. Julie, you have an update on the, the BAFO contest that you created. Hashtag Sat Sisters, look what I did. Look what I did. Can I, I mean, it is amazing and delightful and uh, it's so enjoyable to spend time on our Facebook group or on Instagram 
the Satellite Sisterhood is has been very busy in the last six months uh, with some just big and small projects. All right. And we do have some entertaining sisters recommendations. And then, Liz, the world has been waiting um, for a Hooper update. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking I should put it under the category, look what I undid. Uh, <laughs> That's, that's my teaser on the Hooper update. I'll just leave it there. More to come on that. All right. So that's Satellite Sisters for this week. But we're going to start, of course, with our remembrances of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She died Friday night. I, I'm wondering, you guys, how you all found out. Because I know I was doing a home yoga class, and all of a sudden, my phone just started pinging, pinging, pinging. And it was a series of texts from the women I know saying, oh, my gosh, did you hear? Did you hear? How about you? Julie, how did you hear? Well, I, I it was from my phone, and I immediately uh, sent a text to you both. Uh, right. That was my first reaction. I think that's, you know, is what what you do. I mean, that it was, you know, to me, it was, I just never thought that she would succumb. Uh, mm -hmm. That she was such a force. Uh, and, uh, and I was, I was really surprised and shocked because I, you know, I just thought she's immortal. She's going to just going to continue. Yeah. Right. Right. Liz, how about yeah. you? Yeah. Well, I was out walking Hooper, as a matter of fact, but it was the kind of moment where people in your own Satellite Sister group sort of reached out to each other. So I had mm -hmm. that same experience of all of a sudden, lots of texts, people very shocked. It was, I've, you know, it really, I have to say, threw me for a loop. I didn't, I almost didn't even want to turn on the news or hear anymore. But it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely the everybody touching base with everyone else. Like, this is a moment um, that we have to recognize. You know, Liz, that's an interesting observation because it, it was not my impression to turn on the news either. Mm. Like, I, it wasn't my, normally... Like later that night, because 2020, we had an earthquake here in California. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I like got up and like immediately ran down and turned down the news. But I think with the news of Justice Ginsburg, I just wanted to sit with it. I mean, she's yeah. been battling cancer for a long time. She, you know, and I knew when I heard the news this summer that her cancer returned, I was like, oh boy, that's, that's not great. So uh, I spent the weekend sort of, you know, doing a deep dive on her. I wanted to hear her in her own words and less pundits and other people's impressions. But Julie, you, you did too. You did a lot of reading. I, I did too. And you know, Leon, I, I was really took my time and reading the New York times obituary. And I was just so proud of Ruth Bader Ginsburg because I, the New York times just gave her her due that yeah. they, they, you know, that was probably the largest, most elaborate, um, obituary for a woman that I've ever seen. And, you know, it just made me You're proud. You're probably right. I can't, you know, I'm trying I, to think of, yeah, I'm trying to think of another woman might have gotten, no, I can't think I, of one. I was just so happy that a woman was being honored in a way that was comparable uh, to a man. Like she was a great woman. You may not, you know, regardless of what, you know, what you thought of all of her judicial opinions, she was a great woman and she was honored as such. And, you know, I even thought over the weekend, I was like, I am happy I have lived during her lifetime because mm -hmm. she is such a role model, you know, that um, that she was such an icon, that she was, you know, she made so many important, helped to make so many important decisions that changed the lives for women. And I'm really glad to be alive, to have, you know, witnessed her life and to witnessed her work. And we well, have all benefited so much from her life mm -hmm, and her work. Mm -hmm, her mm -hmm. lives would be dramatically different if not for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. Right. I mean, her, her, her decisions on just equal pay, just, just treating women as people and as such, they should have equal opportunity. It's mm -hmm. just such a basic idea, but it affected so many, like, literal, really important things, what you get paid, access to healthcare, access to education, access to sports, like stuff yeah. that we... Can you open your own checking account? Right. Can you get your own mortgage? All of those things. Right. Can you own a home? Exactly. Exactly. These are really practical things based on sort of women or people, <laughs> women or people too. Radical idea, Leanne. <laughs> it, was a big, it was a big, big idea. Women are people too. 
Well, but it was, you know, I think what I did was I, there were, I read that the New York Times obituary was great. I mean, I read a bunch of obituaries. I love obituaries anyway, but there, that one was just chock full of interesting information. Mm-hmm. And so many of these court reporters have been court reporters, you know, Supreme Court reporters have been reporters for decades. So this is, you know, they have been following her for decades. And then there were so many podcasts out there that she was a guest on a lot of podcasts and there were podcasts about her and podcasts about her decisions. And so I loved listening to her own audio. And a couple of things struck me uh, uh, about her this weekend. Uh, First, I was admired. I admired her sense of humor. I mean, she Mm -hmm. was funny, you know, right. And She's often described as soft-spoken, but she's very funny. And Liz, you're someone who said forever, you know, that a lot of women who want to be taken seriously take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg wasn't that person. When you listen to these interviews, she has great lines and she's funny. And by all accounts from her friends, like they enjoyed her humor, which I think is just hugely important. And it just struck me listening to her. I was also struck by her genuine warmth and caring for other human beings. Like the, you know, the weekend was just filled with her law clerks saying things about her and then, you know, revealing, oh, she flew to California to do our wedding. I I love her. I know that's, I I know like that she was so happy they were getting married or obviously her relationship with her husband. I mean, that's a relationship to envy. They were true partners and he was a big believer as big a believer in her career as she was, which was hugely important to her at her time. And then I don't know if you read Nina Totenberg's remembrance of her. Oh my gosh. Talk about they were very, they were very close friends, right? For 50 years. I yeah. mean, it was when wow. Nina was like a new reporter and she called up Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who wasn't even a judge yet. She was teaching at Columbia. They became fast friends. And at the end of her life, Nina Totenberg's husband was uh, was Ruth's doctor. And they, she couldn't even, to keep that separation, journalist friend, the husband couldn't even tell Nina how serious it was at the end. Oh, but wow. she had a rem- an amazing remembrance and it was clear that she was just a warm and genuine caring person and then I was surprised by the evolution of her career you know that she really used one experience to build on the next and I admire that you know she didn't she didn't come out of Harvard Law School or Columbia she went to both like this smart mouth rabble rouser like right right you know (laughs) you know what I mean she She wasn't some fully baked revolutionary from the jump no and I mean, there's a lot to be said for fully baked revolutionaries from the drum. They're great. That's great energy. But she just like used all of her life experiences to inform her neck. She was a woman. She was a mother. She was Jewish. That had all affected, you know, her interactions with getting work and getting paid. And she used all that. And she really evolved over the course of her lifetime. So much to admire. So much to admire. You know, I loved reading this weekend. They published it uh, was a piece that Ruth Bader Ginsburg did about advice for living, you know, which is a lovely essay that was published in The New York Times. And what comes through with it, number one, is humility, because Mm -hmm. she talks about her career. There was always this element of luck. Um, she talks about tolerance. She's, you know, she she has a great line in the in the essay that in every good marriage it helps sometimes to be a little deaf. You know, I love <laughs> I love I love that. It's I mean, she talk, you know, she talks about congeniality that that is crucial to her success. That she really was, you know, a you know really uh, was a very optimistic person as well. You know, and that um, she talked about the importance of teachers, that they really taught her to write and to think. Um, so, you know, she was, uh, as you say, Leanne, a, a full person, a, you know, a whole person who was so, so thoughtful about every aspect of her life um, that it was it was really um, very meaningful to spend the time to to read the things that she had written and to read about her. You know, in all these conversations about diversity on the court, across all the courts, not just the Supreme Court, a lot of the 
the term you hear people use all the time is what is the lived experiences of the of the judges, the people that are making laws or passing judgment on the laws. And, you know, that's why it's so important to have more kinds of people on the court, because all of their lived experiences are so different. And that should inform all of our lawmaking. And I think what you guys were just saying about, you know, her life and how she lived her life, you can see it's just so clear that that she brought all of that to the way she thought about equal rights and many of the things that she had fought for before the court, even before she became a justice. She really, she really leveraged that lived lived experience into she change. Did. She did. She did. And, you know, I, and that's very liberating for other women to see, to be right. You know, to be your full self, your authentic self in everything that you do, but especially in the workplace. You know. You know, and she also worked like a dog. Can we just say? Every, right. every, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, every profile you read of her or in the movie, like she's, uh, it's two o'clock in the morning and she's going into her study to start to read some briefs and things. So let's, <laughs> let's not forget she worked like a dog and, you know, twice as hard as the men around her. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. So that's well, why. I was, you know, go ahead. Go for it, Liz. Go. go no, ahead. I was super happy to see the announcement uh, that not only will she be lying in state at the Supreme Court, which is uh, what which was expected, but she will be the first woman ever to lie in state in the Capitol building. And um, wow. Yay. I, I, yes. Uh, finally, it's about time. She, I I mean, that's it. So she was a great woman. I, I you know, and I so all do and all respect should be given to her. I know that uh, the New York announced that they're going to build a statue to her. I hope we have a lot more of those, too. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's tempting to get on a plane, isn't it? We go to D.C.? Yes. Yeah. Well, some yeah. of these things you can't go to for the she's lying uh, in repose at the Supreme Court for two days. That's Wednesday and Thursday of this week. And they're putting her coffin under the portico at the top of the building steps to allow for social distancing. So I think there, the public, um, it sounds like the public will be allowed to file by, but in the, uh, in the Capitol, that will only, because of the pandemic, that will only be uh, for invited guests, but sure. Yeah. It's, it's tempting. Yeah. Boy, that's great. I, it's hard to believe she's the first, but then again, (laughs) And we hope- just don't really have a great record <laughs> in this country of, of recognizing women. They have done great things. So, uh, yeah, that's- you know, when when she first became a justice, only 10 percent of the federal judges in the country were women. And that now was it- a statistic that shocked me. I know. Like, forget you when when she for. Yeah. When the, she was named to the court, you know, not the Supreme Court, but the rights, the, the district court. It, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I heard that number, too. I mean, it was it's like it was like 20 out of 500. It was yeah. crazy that that's yeah. all the women that were on that. Level. And now it's only 25 percent. You know, uh, it's not enough. Yeah. No. I mean, no. She also said that famous line about when will we know if we have enough women on the Supreme Court? She said when they're nine. So that's. uh... Sounds good to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, Liz and I had a chance to see her in person 10 years ago. She spoke at the women's conference here in California that Maria Schreiber put on. Mm -hmm. And it was Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Ginsburg being interviewed by Diane Sawyer. So how great was that? So awesome. you know, I had a memory of it. I had a memory of like the, the you know, the thunderous applause, the standing ovation they got. And of course, when they came on stage, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had her pocketbook with her, which just was funny like that she couldn't have just left it backstage. That made people laugh. But I actually found like some bootleg footage of that this weekend. And so I watched that again of the two of them responding to, you know, what it was like to try to get their first jobs. And Mm -hmm. these are women that, you know, came from different points of view, but and lived different lives, one on the East Coast, one on the West, but they both had that similar experience of being unable to be hired, even though they were at the top of their classes in 1959. And even Justice O'Connor Like the first job she took was just a complete family favor. She couldn't even get an interview, same with Ginsburg, interview anywhere, never mind a job. She had to work for free for six months and she had to move her desk into the steno pool because the other lawyers didn't want her around. 
like she had to work for, and it was, this was like a, a county, a district attorney's office uh, in California. So, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg had the same sort of experience. Mm-hmm. It's just stunning. And there they, they were, were on trailblazers. They, and they really we were. To be grateful for all the work that they did uh, so that more women can, you know, have an opportunity to step up, to be lawyers, to be partners, to be judges. Yep. Well, I think they have inspired a ton of uh, young lawyers and, and fighters. So that's fantastic. But yeah, you know, a life like that, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like start to finish, it had this overarching theme. It's just impressive. It reminded me of John Lewis, you know, it's the same thing yes. you could say, like, like, they were on a path and the path just got stronger and, you know, and they understood what their life's work was. And it's just amazing. But, um, I know. And I cried every single time I read anything or listened to anything. So, <laughs> so there was that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Justice Ginsburg. We can't that's, thank you enough. That's right? the most important thing to say is thank you, Justice yep. Ginsburg. We're All right. We're the gratitude. Yes. We're the Satellite Sisters. Stay with us. Coming up next, Julie's blowing the doors off college admissions. So, <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned. <laughs> Hey, it's Liz and Leanne here, and we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. Mm -hmm. The book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is getting rave reviews? My hair, Liz. My hair from Pros is getting (laughs) rave reviews. Leanne, I am not surprised. You have been on that Pros hair regimen for quite a while. I mean, you have good hair anyway, but now you have great hair because you've really paid attention to it. Well, Liz, pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And you know what? I love the regimen they have me on. Do I take the hair vitamins every day? Yes, I do. Do I use my shampoo and conditioner made especially for Lee and Dolan? Yes, I do. Do I sometimes use the leave-in conditioner when my hair's really dry? I do. And I even have a pre-scalp thing that they give me. Okay, pros, you're the boss. I'll take it. (laughs) You tell me what my hair needs. That sounds good. And here's the thing. It's personalization, Liz. For yeah. millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely Leans. Okay, and I'm I'm using it. Pros mm-hmm. isn't just better for you; it's also better for the planet, Liz. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty free, and the first and only carbon neutral custom beauty brand. So, Pros, we love you. I love the photos of my hair. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> photos of your hair. There are people in the photos too. That's the thing about a book tour. Everybody yeah. has their picture taken with Leon and then post it. So yeah. the hair is important. <laughs> Couldn't be happier, Pros. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin. They're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash sisters. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And pros is spelled P-R-O-S-E, pros.com slash sisters. Thanks, pros. Okay, we're back. Julie, you're on college admission. I know. What's well, first happening? of all, I have to tell both of you, uh, all of us, we would never have get, gotten into college uh, if we were applying <laughs> this year. So that, that's totally the number you. one takeaway from this discussion, okay? Like, it would have been impossible. But here is some essential reading for anyone who has a high school student. There is a new book out. It's called Who Gets In and Why? A Year Inside College Admissions. And this is written by Jeffrey Salingo. And he's former editor of the Chronicle of Higher Ed, which is the industry newspaper or you know website for um, higher education. And he's a professor at Arizona State. But here's the most amazing thing about this book, that he was actually embedded in the admissions offices of Davis, Davidson University, which is a smaller co- you know, college, Emory University and the University of Washington. And when you think about, you know, competitive colleges, there's always this mystery about how people get in, how they're selected. There's a lot of secrecy, secrecy about the surrounding that. And if there's not secrecy, there's confusion. They don't let, they don't really tell you. I mean, you have some objective things like oh, you're the, you know, standardized tests or your GPA. But there's a lot more that goes into it. So I've read an excerpt from this book. I haven't read the whole book. 
Um, but it, what, what you learn about the insights you get is just, you know, you think it's going to be about objective criteria, criterion such as the SAT uh, or your GPA. But it is clear because, and he talks about this, that you know, colleges and universities, after they look at some of that academic stuff, um, you know, issues of money, race, gender, and your major really come into who gets in and who doesn't get in. Uh, uh, and, you know, which is, and I'm he, interested in the major. He, that's, well, the major, I mean, well, let's talk about the gender right now sure. because. Because first of all, do you realize that only 45% of the applicants to college are men? So mm -hmm. more women, more women are applying to college than men. So I know this is going <laughs> to kill you, but men are at a slight advantage getting into college now because they are less than 50%. And oh, that's, want... that's what men need is another advantage. <laughs> okay, good to hear. <laughs> Let's, I know, but they don't, but they're not applying to college and they don't want the classes as they call shaping the class. That's what it's called. This is the last step where after they look at some of the academic, um, you know, values, then they start to layer in stuff like, well, we can't have too many women in our class. We need to have more men or we can't have all biology majors. We need to have some, you know, uh, some arts majors, or we can't have too many people majoring in communication. And then there's the issue of, you know, they do want underrepresented groups in their class. And then how about money? Who can pay for it? Because this really comes into it as well. Right. I mean, that right. because, and all of this is factored in by what is known as the yield you know, colleges want to appear to be highly selective. And so that one of the measures of your selectivity is the number of applications and the number of people enrolled. Do you realize at Emory University last year, they had 30,000 applications for 1,400 spots? Wow, that's crazy. That's I yeah, I know. Why is that happening? Why? Well, because it's easier to apply online right. and that there it's more, you know, it's it's there's who knows who's going to get in, who doesn't get in. So it's very competitive to get into these schools, even at the University of Washington, where they do less shaping. It's described as, you know, you know, like a, they're using an axe to, you know, to cut to make the decision about who gets in or who doesn't. We're at a smaller school like Davidson. It's much more of a scalpel. But, you know, this is, they really factor in at the last minute, do, does this kid appear to want to go to the school? So all these sort of, you know, uh, subjective criteria become much more important into the final decision. And that, that is, you know, that's, okay, that's but what the, they okay, never, so the way ever you describe you The way you describe the shaping, Julie, it makes me feel like, well, if you're the applicant... It's a crapshoot. There's really, there's only a limited number of things you can do to make your application more appealing. Right. I mean, I think, you know, that, that you know, one, one obvious one is you have to say you really want to go. They, right. uh, he describes it in the book that really what college admissions is like, it's kind of like a wedding, finalizing an invite lit, list for a wedding, literally. Like uh -huh. if a guest is moved on or off the list, based on whether they would show up, based on whether they'll bring a good gift, uh, et cetera. <laughs> I mean, you're laughing, Liz, but that is exactly, a, you know, this is the insight that he's bringing to this. That's exactly what's going on in college admissions offices. Who is going to show up? Who is? Who are the students that are willing to pay full tuition? How many are Black and Latinx students? And you can't have too many women. Wow. I know. I, I so, uh, and this year, 2020, when everything is in flux in terms of both the curriculum, the more objective criterion, uh, like your your GPA or your standardized tests, that's all you know. Those are out uh, the window, right? Yeah, those have flown into a flux this year because you know standardized tests. You know, a lot of schools are dropping those. And in terms of grading uh, for you know online learning, I don't know how that's going to go. Uh, 
but this is so I would recommend this book to parents because I think it's important that you kind of remember this or or really or you know you know take this in absorb this because it's not it's this book is just much more insightful than I've ever seen about um you know talking about the college admissions process and I'm very surprised that these universities gave him access, but it is good to know. And maybe, maybe what will result from this is um, that it will be a more open process. I don't know. Mm. Do you or th- that the, you know, the flip side is that you really don't put all your eggs in one basket or more importantly, parents don't put mm-hmm. all their eggs right. in one basket in terms of having these expectations. Cause I can't, I hear so many parents say, well, they deserve to get in there and they didn't. And I've heard admissions people say for years, like we have more applicants that are qualified than we can take in. It's not, right. you don't get in cause you're not qualified to do the work. Mm-hmm. It's something right. else happening there. And so that idea of, well, they quote deserve to get in. Sometimes I hear that and I'm like, well, well, there's like a hundred thousand applications to UCLA, yes. you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. probably 90% of those kids quote deserve to get exactly. in the way. So I, I may, I hope it just relaxes some of these expectations and this idea that if you don't get into these seven schools, the rest of your life is doomed or you're less right. than because parents talk like that. It's nuts to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think Julie, parents- can I ask a question? Will this year also be crazier for applicants because a lot of the students that were admitted to come this fall deferred to next fall. Cause I have friends who have um, high school seniors and they're all like, are there going to be half as many slots? We don't know if everyone didn't go this September and they're waiting till next, next September. What impact does that have on my college senior? That that's I, another big factor. I really right? don't know. And I don't know how the, how the colleges and universities are figuring that all out. I mean, it, it is, this must be just a wild year that way to figure out if they have the space, you know, or even to figure out what they're doing next term for, for that matter. So yes, Liz, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a wild ride. That's it. One more thing, Julie, you were on the admissions committee at several mm-hmm. fine institutions mm-hmm. of learning. Yeah. What guidance did you get when you were reading those files? Did they, do you think this is different than it was when you were reading those files? No. No, no, no. I, they may, what the big difference is, is there are more files because it's easier to apply, I oh, think, yeah. the electronic yeah. applications. So, um, but yes, I think this goes on at a lot of universities where you will have special consideration for, you know, for, uh, for race, gender, major, money, uh, whether the student is a legacy applicant, whether the student is a child of the, a university employee, sometimes they are given additional consideration, uh, whether there's some interest from the president's office. These have always been sort of forces involved, uh, but I just have never seen it um, described in openly in such detail. In mm-hmm. such detail. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good. I, I mean, I think uh, parents yeah. should have, parents and students should have this information about you know, the, uh, you know, just the fine line be- between an accept and a de- de- deny. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it is pretty random. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's a nice happy thought. I know. I'm sure you want to, yeah. So get so right to work on that college essay right now. Yeah. That's inspiring. That's inspiring. This it's is totally random. We need to learn to breathe deeply, right, Leah? We just need to take a moment. Take a breath, Liz. Take a breath. Yes, we are moving into our medical pod here at Satellite Sisters. Just please note, none of us are doctors or trained in any medical information. So you should see see your own doctors and dentists after this podcast if you have questions. Um, So, okay, I'm going to talk about breath, but it factors into two different things. First is obvious, a new book about breath. And the second, though, less obvious, dental problems. So stay with me here. Okay. So I heard this uh, medical journalist uh, interviewed several times in many places. Call, his name is James Nestor, and he has a best-selling book out called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. And breathing has interested me for a while. You know, I've been a yoga practitioner for a while, and we do a lot of breathing there. And I would say for the first 15 years of my practice, I thought it was bogus and that most of the yoga teachers were just lying about things. Like they were just making up things. Things like parasympathetic nervous system. You know, I do the breathing, 
but I didn't find any, I didn't get anything out of it. But then I started to get into it in the last 10, 15 years. I've really enjoyed breathing and I'm very conscious of my breathing in class and out of class. And I feel that's helped. I have a lifetime of allergies, you know, and so it's been important to me. But this book, he really talks to 25 scientists and pulmonologists and uh, anthropologists. And he, so he traces like the history of the nose and the shape of our face and how we used to have these giant noses and giant nasal passages. And even as re recently as 400 years ago, anthropology and evolution have changed the shape of our noses. So now we have really small mouths. And our jaws are really small. And as a result, our nasal passages have taken a hit. So, you know, we're not, we, okay. most of us don't breathe right. And we're supposed mm -hmm. to be breathing through our noses whenever possible. Mouth breathing is a total loss. It's a big loser. So just <laughs> really, yeah. Okay. And here's why. Okay. Because the nose, this James Nestor describes the nose as like the smartphone of your face. Like it's this high <laughs> Highly evolved organ, right, that acts as a filter and mm -hmm. it heats and treats raw air, right? And we, if we breathe through our nose, then it's cleansed before it gets into our lungs. But if we breathe through our mouth, there's nothing. Like all mm -hmm. the stuff in the air just goes right in through our mouth without any kind of filter. And that's no good. But if I'm this. I'm holding my breath right now, Liam, because <laughs> I can't. I'm trying to breathe but through just... my nose. So okay. just breathing through your nose, this is okay. what it does. It can trigger different hormones that flood into our bodies. It can lower our blood pressure. It sort of monitors our heart rate. It even helps us store memories, right? It's just this really incredible organ that people think is just this thing on their face that they need to get fixed occasionally. <laughs> but no, it's like it helps calibrate innumerable functions that keep our body balanced. So wow. that's why, yeah. So, okay, Liz, new, right? New yeah. new respect for the nose, right? Yeah, because I feel like last week when it was so smoky, I was doing a lot of mouth breathing, Leon, just because I didn't want to smell the air. But I, I should have been doing the exact opposite, filtering everything through my nose. Right. And I think with so many of us are hopefully wearing masks now, like you're also super conscious of your breathing. And like, I've been mm -hmm. trying to do all nose breathing because that gets the mask less wet, it seems. You know what I mean? Like okay. just a lot of consciousness on breath. Okay. So here's another breath tip. Okay. How it affects anxiety. Okay. Now, a lot of us, people who suffer from anxiety, they tend to take short, shallow breaths. And that is not that helpful. The right. ideal breath count is basically a five second inhale and a five second exhale. Oh, who okay? has time to do that? That's, yeah. Yeah, that's super long. I don't have time to do that. Let's just do that. Okay, go. Okay. So if you're taking these shallow breaths, it's going to make you more stressed out. It initiates the fight or flight thing. So if you think like, oh, you're not getting more ox oxygen with shorter breaths, you're actually getting less oxygen. So I by breathing slow, yeah, but if you breathe slowly, the relaxation comes in the exhale. Okay. The inhale may actually elevate your heart rate, but then the exhale relaxes you. It allows more air into your lungs and helps your body immediately switch to the relaxed state, which, okay. which, ju which just goes back to what my yoga teachers have been saying for years that I thought was bogus. So <laughs> okay. you are now officially convinced. <laughs> so I just want people to think about taking longer, deeper breaths, breathing through your nose, Really understanding that it can affect who you are. There's tons of information in this book. I'm ac I've actually ordered it because I'd like to read the whole thing. I'm very interested in it now. But uh, the name of the book is uh, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor. Okay, so then I last week I saw this article and this struck me because, you know, this summer we replayed the famous Satellite Sisters segment where I go get all the um, the root canals and then I have a freak out afterwards. And yes. um, it's a, you know, it's an all time classic Satellite Sisters episode. Um, but and in that episode, I revealed that I had, you know, four or five root canals in like a year and a half period. And so I don't really dwell on it, but that was because I was going through an incredibly stressful time. That was when our parents were both sick, my dad with Alzheimer's or mom with cancer. And so that whole stress ended up with me just 
basically grinding my teeth to death. Okay, so not hilarious. Didn't really fit into the, <laughs> didn't really fit into the, to a funny story. But that was the truth. And so this article in the New York Times by Dr. Tammy Chen said now she's seeing in her practice people coming in every single day with cracked teeth because they're just grinding their teeth to death. So the stress of this pandemic, the stress of being unemployed, the stress of being home, the stress of not knowing what's going to happen, it's causing people to grind their teeth. And if and she said most of her patients don't even know they're doing it, but they come in with so like they'll be literally grinding their teeth in front of her and she's like you're grinding your teeth right now. They're <laughs> like I can see you grinding your teeth. But you'll know you're doing it if you wake up in the morning, you have a headache or jaw pain, achiness yeah. in the cheek, migraine, neck pain. Like that's it's that is means you've been up all night grinding your teeth. So, you know, one thing you should do is you should get a, a mouth guard, right? That's what I did. The awful plastic mouth guards. At first, you're like, this is like, you know, putting Tupperware in my mouth. This <laughs> this doesn't I am never going to be able to sleep with this. And then eventually you get you get to really love your mouth guard and it becomes a really essential part of my bedtime routine, putting my little mouth guard in. So I've been doing it and it works and I haven't had any cavities or any teeth cracked or anything else bad going on in my mouth. But when another thing interesting, this doctor said, this dentist said was two other factors that you might be underestimating. So we all have a lot of stress. She said, part of the problem is people are working at home now, right? And they just get up from their bed and they go sit on their couch and they have terrible posture and they're working in Uh non-ergonomically safe environments. And she said, so that is contributing to the teeth grinding because your spine is already bent over. You're not sitting up properly. Your jaw's in the wrong place. And you just carry all that neck stress stress right into bed with you. So this is for people. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't have thought of that, but no. So this is for people working at home. She said, you know, you have to get up. You have to wander around during the day. Take your phone call standing up. You know, get the right desks. Sit up properly. Like, all that stuff is going to improve uh, your response uh, to the to the jaw thing, like is going to is going to straighten up your back and your jaw is going to be in better shape. And then she's and then here's the other thing. She said breathing. We're not breathing right. Like it all there comes you have back it. I think breathing. we all have to get this book, Leanne. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She said, because we're not getting the restorative sleep we need. So, and oh, that, that's for sure. Yeah. Yes. So she said, so, you know, you're in, if you're not going into deep sleep, here comes this parasympathetic nervous system again, like those yoga teachers talk about yeah. all the time. Your body at night is in a fight or flight response. So you're clenching your jaw, you know, you're just like charged and ready to go and all that tension's going right to your teeth. So she did say at night, you know, you should do all the things you need to do to relax. You should take these deep breaths. You should exhale. You should wiggle your arms and shoulders and hips from side to side and really try to go into sleep, uh, you know, completely relaxed by doing some sort of meditation or breathing exercise at night. So there you go. And get a night, night guard, she said. But there you go. So I'm wow. Good breathing. Good info, Leon. That Thank is you. super helpful, Leon. You know, <laughs> you. and I'm just thinking some of this stuff, the breathing, the stretching, the meditating, it feels like at the beginning of the pandemic, I was super conscious about all of that. And then I just let it go, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, it's all gone on too long and I've just stopped doing all the things that I knew were good for me at the beginning. So got to get back on track with all that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Okay, great. One little dental follow-up. I set my to-do list on the show last week was my first dental appointment in a while. So last Friday, I went to see my dentist, Dr. Jen. Now, uh, Dr. Jen was actually on Satellite Sisters once. (laughs) Remember we did it? We did We've talked we, everyone. <laughs> when we our show's on three hours a day, six days a week, we basically talked to everyone we ever met. Mm-hmm. And and Julie, wasn't Dr. Jen your dentist? When you were living in Russia, you would come yes, home. Yes, I, I went to Dr. Jen. Yes. <laughs> Sheila did. Mom and dad my did. Husband, my husband visited her as well. Yep. Yep. <laughs> anyway, Dr. She's Jen. She's a family dentist. Yeah. <laughs> she always sends all of her best to everyone in the family. 
Um, but anyway, so when she came in, you know, the dental hygienist did her thing. And then Dr. Jen comes in and just does the, the once over and we have a little chit chat, but it was more about like life now, because I was like, how's it going? Getting the practice reopened. Like that must've been very stressful. She said, yeah, it was very hard retraining people, buying new equipment, trying to, you know, convince our, um, our patients that it was safe. She said all of that was going on. So plus, you know, I've got little kids at home, which I knew. And so she said, I'm trying to do like the homeschooling thing now and run a dental practice and like do, do my practice in a whole new way. And, uh, she said, the good thing is that my husband, at least not his job, which always required a lot of travel. Now he doesn't have to go anywhere. So we have a different way of dividing up things at home, but it's really been a lot. And I thought that is just a perfect little snapshot of what everyone is going through. You know, she has to, you know, reorganize her whole business plus and running a dental practice. I just had never thought about the practical parts of running a dental practice before and what that would mean in this kind of environment. Anyway, she she said the good news is um, my my teeth look fine. So (laughs) in case you were were waiting for the big punchline. But but the bad news is she said, you know, at your age now and I I hate when people start sentences that way. (laughs) Uh, she said, you're, you're not going to be getting any new cavities. What's going to happen is your old fillings are going to start to fall out. So we yeah. need, to, we need to be aware well, of that. That is something to look forward to. <laughs> hey, and one, one final, uh, one final tip, uh, medical tip. I know we're not giving out advice, but I did go get my flu shot. Uh, like Liz said, she went to the dentist mm-hmm. uh, and I went to the pharmacy and I've gone to different pharmacies for flu shots over the years. And, you know, sometimes they're good and sometimes they're, yeah. they're, they're not good. It's uneven. It's uneven. So here's my tip. This time I went in for my flu shot and I tried to establish a positive rapport with the pharmacist before she gave me the shot. I really like buttered her up, sisters, okay? I noticed when we were filling out the paperwork that she had a a lovely engagement ring on. So I asked her about her engagement ring. And again, you see, what did you think this was going to do for you? I thought she would give me a better shot, Liz. (laughs) Yes. She did, okay? And it worked, okay? I buttered her up and I got a good shot. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, the pharmacists are on the front line, like the dentists. They've really had to, you know, reconfigure everything they do. And I'm just very grateful for everything they do. So, uh, but you may try, you may want to try to butter them up before you get your shot. (laughs) That's good medical advice. It's bound to have a much more beneficial effect. Julie, that is good advice. Because I, I was like, uh, normally I would go to the doctor's office for this, but now I'll just go to the pharmacy. I, yeah. I'm taking that advice, Joel. 100%. Okay. All right. 100%. All right. Stay with us. When we come back, we have entertaining sisters and we have lots of exciting things to promote and uh, our contest, hashtag Satellite Sisters, look what I did. But first, we need to thank a couple of sponsors for their support of Satellite Sisters. Liz and Leanne here, and we are so grateful to have Osea support Satellite Sisters. Why? Because it's just a great product. Holy cow, do we we love Osea's skin and body care. And you know what? This Mother's Day, just look no further than Osea. Spoil the moms in your life with the little luxuries from Osea. The moms, the stepmoms, the bonus moms, the people who bring a touch of something special to your life aunts, grandmothers, they would love a little Osea this Mother's Day. And you can get 10% off your first order by using our code SATSisters at OseaMalibu.com. And Liz, you know what every mother and mother figure needs? What? More moisture, Liz. They need more moisture in their skin. (laughs) In their skin. I mean, really, the creams, the lotions, the oils, I love it all. That duo they have going. Like, you can't miss with the duo of Osea. Liz, the Mega Moisture Duo, yes. you can you can literally see your skin get firmer and it just delivers this full body glow. Okay, you know we have raved about the Andaria Algae Body Oil. Mm-hmm. Well, pair that with the Andaria Collagen Body Oil. Youthful, yeah. Liz, a youthful yeah. glow is going to happen. <laughs> and it's a, infused with Osea's signature Andaria Seaweed. So it just smells so delicious, doesn't it? I know you're talking about giving it as a gift. I also suggest just giving it to yourself (laughs) because you're worth it. 
<laughs> that's, that's true. That is absolutely true. Okay, that moisture duo I mentioned too is a great value because you can save 16% plus the extra 10% with our code Sad Sisters. So this is it. This is a win-win-win Mother's Day gift. Spoil the moms in your life with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code SATSISTERS at oseamalibu.com. And you get free samples in every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. So head on over to oseamalibu.com and use code SATSISTERS for 10% off. Thanks, Osea. Okay, we are back. This is Liz, and I just wanted to let everyone know that we have a very special guest coming on the show next week. It's our favorite cookbook author, Claire Tanzi. Yay! Claire's back. Claire is coming back. Uh, Her brand new book is called Dinner Uncomplicated. First of all, I mean, and we all, I got a copy of this. I've been, I've picked out a couple of things I'm going to make before next week, sisters. Okay, cooking with Liz. (laughs) Cooking with Liz. Because, you know, Claire actually helped me on Cooking with Lish. We did an episode together on uh, on Instagram. And that pizza on the grill thing that I did, Midsummer, yep. Cooking Very with Lish. That was all Claire. Claire oh. taught me how to do that. Okay. So uh, anyway, she's got one in here called Tandoori-ish Chicken. Mm. And that sounds right up my alley. That just looks super delish. And the way the whole book is organized is actually very practical, even if you're not an advanced cook. So I was looking through the whole front and that's when I noticed that Leon Dolan has blurbed this book. Yes, I did. I got it. Yeah. I was thrilled that Claire asked me to blurb dinner uncomplicated, but that's why I really studied it. I'm like, this is great. If you are trying to figure out how to make dinner every night and people are trying to figure out how to make dinner every darn night now, I mean, it's unbelievable timing, but it's super practical advice. It's a terrific book. Great recipes. Oh my gosh. The turkey burger. Is that good? it's it's just a good juicy turkey burger, which is not easy to to sustain. So and, and the we're really all sick of cooking our own recipes. We yes. need new recipes, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. And the yep. pork chop recipe. I've been making a bunch of them. So and family approved. But yeah, excited to have dinner have Claire back on the show for dinner uncomplicated. And she has agreed to donate a a copy of dinner uncomplicated to the swag bag. For the contest winners. Yes. So the hashtag Sat Sisters Look What I Did, but the two winners, the Facebook winner and the Instagram winner, you're both going to get copies of Dinner Uncomplicated and you're going to love that. And just, you know, in the Satellite Sisters swag bag, you might also be getting a Satellite Sisters apron. So it's all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway, I'm looking forward to testing some of Claire's recipes myself for the discussion next week. Great. Well, this is the final week of our Satellite Sister Facebook and Instagram contest. Look what I did. And we're go- it, this is a random drawing. So if this is your last week to post your pictures at hashtag SatSisters, look what I did. And this has been another amazing and delightful week of accomplishments, big and small. You know, everything on there from Sarah getting her hair cut, which we loved. Okay, that was <laughs> Nurse great. Nurse Sarah. Nurse okay. Sarah. Nurse Sarah. How about fruit carving? Did you see that? Yeah. Amazing. Margaret. How about Liz? Liz Dolan, did you see what she did with her electronic to cords and devices? Oh, I, I did see that. I did all, see that, Julie. That all, was inspiration. June, 910 hours of Zoom calls. You did it, June. We're proud of you. Okay. That is amazing. Anastasia finally saw Downton Abbey. Now she knows what we were all talking about. Okay. Love that. Okay. People, uh, you know, I love Tammy. She was on her deck with a beverage. Okay. That was great. And also Sarah, who potty trained a two-year-old. Okay. We can all agree that is major. Major. Okay. Again, it doesn't matter how big or how small. We want to see what you've been doing. What did you do? Because it's a random drawing, one from Facebook, one from Instagram. This is your last week. So keep posting because we are loving the gardens. We can't get enough of the bread. Uh, I love the curtains that Danette made. I mean, the whole thing has just been awesome. It has, Julie. It's been a delight. Fantastic idea. 
And yeah, we'll be we'll be picking winners next Monday, uh, the 28th, and then announcing them on the show on the 29th. So don't delay, you know, document whatever you've done and use the hashtag Sat Sisters. Look what I did both on Facebook and Instagram. You can um, you have to post a different photo every day, but you can enter as many times as you like. It's a random drawing. Okay, just a reminder too, October here at Satellite Sisters is Locktober. That's right, Locktober. <laughs> name, Leon. <laughs> we looking at the bright side of the lockdown. That's that what we're doing here at Satellite it. Sisters. We're going to try to provide some positive, informative conversations with experts in various topics from health and nutrition and relationships to get you through Locktober. Uh, <laughs> so that's coming up. I think next week we'll be able to fully preview it. Still working on some of the guests right now, but we have some fun things lined up. I'm looking forward to uh, the next month. Okay. Well, okay, sisters, in entertaining sisters, I have a whole new approach to entertaining myself. And it started what, last... What is that, Liz? <laughs> what is it? Well, I just think, here's one word I do not want in my entertainment vocabulary, Julie, is dystopian. Okay? Yeah, I'm just, too. I'm not interested in anything dark or dystopian or like, no. And this all started like this past Saturday morning, I woke up. And my first thought was, did, did that really happen? Did did Ruth Bader Ginsburg really die yesterday? Did we really have an earthquake last night? Did like is this all really happening? And then then I picked up my phone and there was the message. I got a text message from Leon as soon as the earthquake happened, saying, "Are you okay?" Because that's our protocol. Leon texted me and Sheila. Apparently, I rolled over and went right back to sleep. Sorry, I did not respond, Leon. <laughs> but yeah. it was when I saw Leon's message, I was like, "Yes." This is all really happening. So that's when I decided that I'm I'm only going to listen to and read positive input from positive people, at least for now. And I, most of all, I was inspired by last week's interview with Chris Franz of Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club because I just could not shake. What a lovely guy he was, Liam. It was just, I, for some reason, you just expect, you know, rock gods to be kind of a little bit dark and dystopian. And I was, I was very inspired by Chris Brand. So the first thing I did, Entertaining Sisters, I would recommend the book. That's what Leon was talking to him last week about his memoir, Remain in Love. And I downloaded the audiobook because oh. he reads... He reads the audiobook. And so if you just want hours and hours of like Chris France love in your earbuds, <laughs> that's what I signed up for. Good work, Liz. That sounds very appealing. Yeah. It, it's super appealing because his stories are really kind of amazing. The life on yeah. the road in the 70s and 80s, you know. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, as you noticed, if you listen to our interview with him, He's just a lovely guy who says lovely things about other people, too. You know, yeah. he's constantly describing people as being nice or yes. polite or they're pretty or fun to be around. Uh, he has so many nice things to say about other bands and their music. And it's just very, I mean, there are a couple of bad things that happen, but mainly it's good things that happen. Right. And then, like he blow by blow through a lot of their concerts, their performances all over the world. And in I would say in almost every single one, he's describing what a great time he's having, how the band is really rocking, how the fans are digging it. And then he always says, and then I looked over, then I looked over and I felt so much love for Tina. I cannot tell you how many times in this book he tells you how much he loves his wife. Okay. <laughs> Gotta love a man who loves his wife. Right? It's a new record, Julie. Yeah. He really loves his wife. And just, he can't get enough of that, Tina. He's just, you know, constantly, he'll be describing some little cafe dinner they're having. And then he'll just say like, oh, and Tina looked particularly lovely that night. Or something like that. Anyway, so... So Chris France, uh, that he sort of put me in this, okay, let's be nice, let's be positive, let's say nice things about each other mood. I mean, he has a, anyway, David Byrne does not deserve a lot of nice things, but no. everybody else in no. the book does. Or Brian so, Eno, Brian Eno. Oh, Brian Eno, oh yeah, oh Mm -hmm. Anywho, yes, that that's dark. why okay. I didn't dwell on on day. I'm sure you're yeah. sick of talking about David Byrne, but if yeah. you're a if you're a Talking Heads fan, you're going to want to read it. Yeah, yeah. 
So, okay, so so then this week I decided, okay, who else is a, a nice person doing nice artistic things that I want to find out more about? And I decided this week uh, it's Sarah Bareilles. You know, I just love her. I, yes. You know, yes, you do, Liz. You love her. <laughs> I just think she writes very solid pop songs. She is she's the guest on Dax Shepard's podcast this week. And Dax Shepard doesn't need us to promote his podcast. But um, but Sarah Bareilles is just a charming and delightful guest talking all about her life from when she was a college student here at UCLA. And, you know, then first when she first started writing music. But also, you know, I went to see Waitress on Broadway. And I got to say, I had it. That just didn't seem to me like that would make a great. Broadway show, it was wonderful, and uh, and it's a good I was show. yes, yeah, and I saw it when she was in it, and I just thought well, she can really do it all. This Sarah Bareilles. So um, anyway, she does have a new show. This is what I wanted to recommend. She has a new show on Apple TV Plus that she executive produced called Little Voice, and it's about a young performer learning to find her voice and. She did it with J.J. Abrams, so it has it has a little bit of a Felicity vibe to it. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, which I'm all in for that. Uh, fine, and uh, and she writes. Uh, Sarah Bareilles wrote the original songs for the TV show. So, um, so Little Voice. I just started watching that on uh, Apple TV Plus, and then she's also here's a reason to live, something to look forward to. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's. <laughs> She's also set to star in a new show produced by Tina Fey. Oh, so, really? Yes, there's a new comedy coming in. It's called Girls Five Eva. And it's a comedy about a washed up 90s girl band. So kind of like the Spice Girls that decides to get back together. And uh, Sarah Bareilles is playing Dawn, who's one of the members of the group, but she also manages her family's Italian restaurant in New York City. And and it was written, it is written by uh, Meredith Scardino, who's one of the writers from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So there's your package, people. That's what oh, you're okay. wanting. That's what you're going to want to be watching, though I don't have any idea when it begins to air. So it's that's what I'm sort of out there on the horizon. It's going to be on Peacock, whatever that is. That's that NBC streaming service. I've been testing that. Anyway, so there you go. Sarah Bareilles is my positive vibe of the week, sisters. That's it. Good. Very fine, Liz. Uh, Okay, I would like to recommend a podcast. As I mentioned, I was listening to a lot of podcasts uh, this weekend about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I came across Amicus. That's the podcast that Dahlia Lithwick does about the Supreme Court. Um, But this summer, the people over there at Amicus and Slate had already, before Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, put together a two-part series on the women of Harvard Law in 1959. I know if you read anything or listened to anything about Justice Ginsburg this week, you probably heard that she was one of, you know, nine women in that class of 500 men at Harvard Law. And again, she started at Harvard and graduated from Columbia. But the in this podcast, they tracked down the other eight women that graduated in that class of Harvard Law. So what it's a fascinating really, idea. Great idea. Right. And then they did. They some of them are still alive. Some of them are still on the bench and practicing law, you know, at the same age as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. There's, you know, Dahlia Lithwick, who also has been reporting on the Supreme Court for decades, 20 years, did an extensive interview with Ruth Bader Ginsburg about those law school days and about what it was like. You know, we talked about her lived experience and how that informed her. And, uh, you know, she talked about what it was like to try to be at law school with a new husband and a new baby. And she was obviously the only one in the class with a baby. And so she would just work whenever she could work. You know, she worked when the baby was down. And um, but they're great stories of the other women and what that experience was like, you know, working and being a lawyer, a female lawyer in the late 50s, early 60s. So I would recommend it. It's a two part series. And then there's also a, a full hour interview with Ruth Bader Ginsburg done this January. Just loved hearing hearing her voice and the voice of the women from that generation. Okay. And that podcast is fascinating, Liam. Yeah, yeah. Totally worth a listen. Uh, totally great. 
All right. We did it, sisters. That's today's show. We'd always like to thank uh, Sergio Enriquez, who's our engineer who makes us sound great, and our sponsors for supporting the Satellite Sisters podcast. Thank you so much for supporting the voices of women on the air. And thank you to the Satellite Sisterhood and Mr. Hood for supporting the people that support us. It makes it all possible. All right. Our to-do list for this week. Julie, what do you got on your to-do list? I'm going to get my shingle shot, Leanne, because I've got my pharmacist all buttered up. So I'm going to get the best shingle shot ever, Julie. That's great. It's a two-shot series. So so we're really going to, we're going to go deep. You may get a, also an invitation to the wedding if you play your card. Card. Uh, okay, well, I'm excited because my dance teacher is doing the thriller uh, choreography again. Our, our regular Tuesday night dance classes now for the next month will be learning all the thriller choreography from the um, from the music video. Now, I've done this in the past before. He usually does it every before every Halloween, but I'm excited to do it again in my own bedroom on my carpeted floor. It's going to be great. Uh, and people can join in. So I'll put the information on my, um, on my Facebook page. If you want to join the class, uh, you can do that. So, but learn the actual choreography from Thriller. It's hard. I'm warning you. It's hard. Liz, how about you? Okay, well, this is the big Hooper update that I promised at the top of the show. So here's the deal. I realized it was exactly a year ago that I spent almost a month in the Middle East. Remember when I went to Qatar for the World Track and Field Championships and I was away for a while? And during that time, Hooper went to dog camp and, you know was being trained for a month and came home and he was a whole new dog, right? He was following my instructions. He was not barking at me when I put my shoes on. He was great on the leash. We were really living large there for a while. But then somehow in the last year, I have managed to just untrain him. (laughs) There's been some, I would say pretty much 100% backsliding. And we are now back where we started a year ago. No. So... I know, but, but, but it's all my fault. See, that's the thing. I mean, you know that when they're training your dog, that it's really about you. And, uh, so I just like in the past year, every once in a while, I'd say, oh, I should really remind him to do that. But I never did. I never. So anyway, so I'm kind of setting a goal now. We're just going to, we're going to do a do over, not at dog camp, just with me and my dog. We're just going to try to build back up some of the skills that, uh, that we've lost over the last year. So that's what I'm doing. Okay. okay. Good luck with that, Liz. Yeah. I, I don't know how to train a dog, but obviously I do know how to untrain a dog. So <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> Woo, hashtag sad sis. Look what I did. I know. Look what I, yeah, look what I undid is pretty much what that is. <laughs> All right. Uh, sisters, have a great week. You too. You too, Liam. And don't forget, call your satellite sisters.